Right, April 27th, 2022. Tonight's class is on Matan Torah, essentially, and so called it the emergence of truth. The, the truth be told is uh, that this class is really a continuation of the class right before Pesach, um, but you didn't need to listen to that class in order to appreciate this class, because I'll quickly catch you up on the punchline, on the essential point, and then uh, be able to push it forward. The essential point went as follows in that class. And again, even if you don't understand, understand the essential point, you'll still be able to easily follow and appreciate this class. But the essential point was contrasting Rosh Hashanah to Pesach, and there's a lot to be contrasted. Without getting into the details, the, the point went as follows, whereas Rosh Hashanah is the day on which we understand God's role, that infinite potential of existence. Pesach is the day on which Am Yisrael's role, human beings' role, is manifested, where we actualize, where we're able to then take the potential and turn it into something. Along those lines, we pointed out, and it'll be just relevant for this class, on Rosh Hashanah, it's Bakese Yom Hagenu. It's the day, it's the only holiday, which is on the first day of the month. There's a hidden moon on that day, which means to say, essentially, what we're talking about on Pesach, excuse me, on Rosh Hashanah, is a day in which we don't see the moon. We kind of hearken back to a time of light, of sun. Pesach, in contrast, is smack in the middle of the month. Smack in the middle of the month is when the moon is absolutely full. Of course, it's the way Am Yisrael begin their existence as a nation, with God turning to us and telling us, HaChodesh HaZelachem, telling us kind of to look up at the moon. And, the, and the, the idea that underlies that sun and moon is that the sun, of course, is what's refracted by the moon. The moon reflects the light of the sun, which is effectively the sun being that potential and the moon actualizing that potential. Am Yisrael's role at the time of Yisiat Misraim is, well, you've had this nascent beginning, you've had this bereshit of existence, well, now it's time to bring it to fruition as a nation. Take the sun that I've put into this world and be able to, on your own, affect change with it. That's the Pesach story, that's the contrast between Rosh Hashanah and Pesach in a nutshell. Well, that all being the case, at the end of that class, and this will be somewhat relevant for the, much of this class tonight, at the end of that class, as I was not waxing poetic, but when I was reflecting on what it means to actualize potential and to understand that when I have an absolute and infinite potential, it means that quite literally everything is an opportunity. As a result, if you think about the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Pesach, for example, I mentioned as well, whereas on Rosh Hashanah we sound a shofar. Shofar is just a call. We did a class several months ago on call, on the call of Ma'amad Har Sinai, on the call Adonai Elohim Italech Bagan Liruah Hayom. That call, which effectively is a sound. A sound has so much potential within it. How do you interpret that sound? What do you hear in the shofar sound? What do you What do you hear? You hear something different. There's absolute potential. The second I take a sound and turn it into words, I'm effectively actualizing it, but I'm taking away from some of that potential. Whereas Rosh Hashanah is the day of shofar, right beforehand, you sound a shofar, you set forth the absolute potential, you manifest God's existence in all of its infinite amazingness, awesomeness. When it comes to Pesach, we have a mandate specifically and, and clearly in the Torah of the Ma'antiskor, you're supposed to have Sipur Yisiat Misraim, you're supposed to be the Amarta, you're supposed to be speaking to your children. It's as Morris likes to remind me, it's the Pesach holiday. It's the holiday on which we're speaking, we're taking potential and actualizing it, which effectively is humanizing it. And human beings, of course, are finite. That's our mandate in this world for all intents and purposes. So this class is now, call it a step further, because of course, and I'm really borrowing from Ramban, but you don't need Ramban for this thought. When you think about Pesach, although, quote unquote, it actualizes that potential, it's not done. The actualization is not done, of course, because you have to wait until Shavuot. Why do I say I'm borrowing from Ramban? Ramban, in a well-known uh, comment in Parashat Emor, suggests that the reason Shavuot is known as Aseret, so to speak, the end day, is because just like Sukkot has the last day, Shemini Aseret, so to Pesach has the last day, and that's 
Aseret of Shavuot, which means, for our purposes, Pesach really has a Hola Mo'ed, not only in the middle, but over the course of what we call Sefirat Omer time period, and it, and it concludes with Shavuot, which means, in turn, for us, and I think someone at the end of that class kind of asked me, so where's the room for Shavuot? If you told me we actualized potential with Yesiyat Misraim, so what about Matan Torah? How do we appreciate that? So that's what I'd like to spend some time doing together with you explaining that although the beginning of actualizing potential, and we noticed in turn, by the way, at the beginning of that class um, uh, before Pesach, that the description of Yitziat Misraim and Kiryat Yamsuf has many parallels to creation of the world for a good reason. We're redoing creation, but now we're actualizing it. And that's the beginning of actualizing it. Matan Torah, I know conceptually we can state it, but I'd like to develop that further and explain to you how I see in Matan Torah what I call the emergence of truth, so it's the full emergence. So the way I'd begin is just to uh, a little bit further elaborate on that point, which I mentioned, that speech, to a large extent, is the, uh, is the symbolism, or is, us taking absolute potential and giving it a certain finite words and letters and sounds and descriptions. If I were to, as Harambam writes, quoting from the Gemara and Masechet Berachot, absolute potential in prayer, the highest level of, of prayer is one that's contemplative, uh, one in which you really are ascribing words and descriptions to God? How could you do so? God is infinite. By definition, using words, even the word infinite is already giving him a specific description. Well, that being the case, I'd like to just, in, in a specific way, try to describe that to you in, in, along the same lines, and then bring it forward to Matan Torah. It goes like this. I've mentioned this on one other occasion. I think I once saw this in Rabbi Moshe Shapiro's book, in one of his books, one of the books of his uh, Derashot. Uh, the Pesukim, of course, at the beginning of the Torah, the first two Pesukim, Bereshit bara Elohim et HaShemayim Ta'aretz, Veha'aretz ha'yeta tohu vavohu vehoshech al tehom, and the obvious question which needs to be asked and we've always asked is if who created the tohu vavohu it appears as if God's only going to begin creation of what we call day one but there is already a tohu vavohu which appears to be something where that something come forth from if God hadn't yet uttered anything after all the first utterance as the Torah describes it to us that creates something but over here there is something it's tohu vavohu so you might say it might be Aristotelian you might be Platonic you might claim okay God didn't create it it was at the same time as God or something along those lines Harambam reflecting in his Moren Vuchim, the tradition of Judaism says we don't accept that. We say and we say creation ex nihilo, which means that God brought forth something from nothing. Now that's not to say that over the course of the six days he's bringing forth something from nothing. It's quite quite not that so not not that way we see him speaking to the ground and bringing forth something from the ground even human beings are that's not something from nothing per se but it means that it begins with a something from nothing but i don't see that in the text if anything i see the opposite in the text the text is telling me the torah is telling me who brought forth the tohu vavohu famously ramban but it's really rashi as i pointed out in that class uh, just a few weeks ago ramban suggests that you have to read the pistol I'm, I'm really elaborating or filling in the gaps on how to read the Pesukim. The first Pasuk is a description. It's not an introduction, it's rather a description. At the beginning, God created, the beginning of time, let's say, God created the matter for Shamayim and Aretz. So God brings forth the energy, the matter, the mass, the uh, ether, the hyal, the whatever you want to call it, he brings forth the raw product for existence. That's Pasuk Aleph in the Torah. Pasuk Bet then describes how there's Tohu Vavohu, which is that matter, mass, potential, energy, those words that we like to use in this context. But that's what's taking place here in the first Pesukim of the Torah, which is interesting. And the reason it's interesting beyond everything else being interesting. Again, Rashi writes it here in source number four as well, because the Pasuk says in Bereshit, Perek Bet, Pasuk Dalet, Ele Toledot HaShemayim Ve'aretz, Bihibare Am, Biyom, Asot HaMai Lohim Eres 
The word biyom makes it appear as if everything came forth on a single day. Everything didn't come forth on a single day. Read Bereshit Perek Aleph. It took six days to bring forth creation. Says Rashi, Everything was created on first. Everything wasn't created on first. Rashi, I think, is speaking the same, same reality. He's describing, we know this scientifically today, right? It all started with something brought forth by whom? Well, the scientists can't answer it. That's Pereshit, Perek Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, Pereshit, Balat, Well, that all being the case, I have just one question. And I'll ask it by means of the Gemara in a second, but first I'll ask it without the Gemara. How come there's no utterance? On day one, there's Yehi Or. On day two, every single one of the days, there's a, there's a word of God that brings the sources. On day one, or pre-day one, there's no utterance. So why not have Baraiz Yesh and he's creating everything? Shouldn't there be speech for that? Correct. So in other words, what Ali's speaking, it's, and now you'll understand how it directly accords with what I've been Suggesting in the introductory comments, it goes as follows. By definition, speech, by definition, makes something finite. It limits it. The word davar in Hebrew, as a matter of fact, is, I think, from the same shorish as dibur, as davar, when you speak. When you speak, you make something. Over here, he doesn't make something per se. He makes everything or anything. By using vayomer Elohim in this context, it would, be, it would be wrong because you'd be describing him as creating something finite. It's quite the opposite. is everything and anything. Go ahead, So that light, that or haganuz of day one is already something though. It's a step beyond. Before you have even the or of yehi or, you have something else, and that is everything all at once. You're right. Or, it's already, it's already, in the words of the Kabbalists, it's already nitava, it's already a little thicker, it's a little bit more coarse, a little bit more dense. I know it's light, I know it's pristine, I know it's divinity and so forth, but it's, no, no, I'm just saying, quote unquote, it's light, it's orhaganus, quote unquote light, but already to even, that's what I mean, it's difficult to describe that as already being dense, but it's more dense than absolute potential because there's already something. Again, hard to exactly explain it, but that's, that's, and the, go ahead. I'm saying, so like more the key word is bara. Is bara. Ramban, Ramban distinguishes famously in that same passage between the word bara and vayas and vayisir. That vayas and vayisir is to craft, bara means to create something from nothing. Of course, there are two difficulties with Ramban, as the Mefarshim of Ramban point out, and that is that you have Biryan two other places in creation story. This is just parenthetical. You have it by the Taninim and you have it by Adam Harishon. Right? So you have it by the two of them. I thought that it was all created on day one. And okay, that's important questions to deal with. Uh, separately. Ah, so said that's that's the that's the Gemara I'm referring to. The Gemara here in source number five in Masechet Megillah and Afkafalef Amud Bet. It's also in Masechet Rosh Hashanah uh, in a different context. But the Gemara over there is talking about why there are ten pesukim from the rabbis for Kiryata Torah. Why establish ten pesukim for Kiryata Torah? In other words, what I mean by that is on Mondays and Thursdays when we read from the Sefer, there has to be at least ten pesukim. Ten pesukim. Keneged me. The Gemara asks in Masechet. Shana, they asked ten kolot of the shofar, keneged me. In a regular segment of shofar, right, you have a tashat, tarat, and then tashrat. You have ten kolot, keneged me. Why is it that you have ten? And the Gemara has a few answers in both both uh, contexts. One of the answers is keneged the asara ma'marot bahem, the ten utterances with which the world was created. Asks the Gemara, but there are only nine places where the Torah says vayomer and pereshit perekal. Answers the Gemara, bereshit name ma'amaru. The word Bereshit, or the description in Pasuk Aleph, was also an utterance. So that's exactly what I'm referring to. First and foremost, that Gemara is the best proof you have for Rashi and Ramban, that Pasuk Aleph in the Torah, the very opening Pasuk, is not just an introductory Pasuk, it's something constructive. It's the greatest proof you have for it, this Gemarot. But number two, it begs the question that I asked a moment ago. 
then how come there isn't a Vayomer? And the answer is, I believe, and this I think I read from Rabbi Shapiro, is that you can't describe Vayomer in the context of the creation of infinite potential, effectively. You can only talk about Vayomer, you can only talk about Dibur and Amirat when you're talking about something which by definition is already quote-unquote in human terminology, in finite um, uh, perspectives. Okay, well, that all being the case, I take you steps further now and back into Misraim and then out of Misraim. Back into Misraim, what we mentioned at the end of the class, in the, at the end of the last class was, I, I think I mentioned the words of Zohar in that context, and that is the words of Zohar picking up, I think, on the uh, on the Pesukim that describe B'nai Israel and Misraim at the beginning of the, or at the beginning of the Torah's description of their servitude, it describes many verbs of what they're doing with regards to their mouths. There's Vayi'anehu, there's Vayiz'aku, there's Shav'atam, there's a lot of cries and shrieks and moans and groans. There's no speech. And the words of the Zohar, there's Galut Hadibur, there's an exile of speech, which is an interesting description. It first and foremost describes something about slavery, but beyond slavery and freedom, it describes the, uh, the, the, the nascent potential that they had. They're not using words, quote unquote, and redemption in turn is all about being able to use words. Of course, most appropriate in that context, and I think someone mentioned in that class, if not myself, is that Moshe's beginnings in his conversation with God in source six is Vayomer Moshe Adonai bi Adonai lo ish devarim anochi. I'm not a man of speech. Gamitemol gamishulshom gamaz daberchay laabdecha ki kevad parpe ukvad lashon anochi. I have a heavy um, mouth and I have a heavy tongue. I'm not a man of words. How interesting. Moshe Rabbeinu is not a man of words. Oh, that being the case, asks Maharal. He didn't need Maharal to ask it, but he, 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 he describes it and, 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 and sets it forth so beautifully. He says, well, we're dealing with, here's the way he puts it in his Givurot Hashem and Perek Kafchet. He says, well, you're dealing with Moshe Rabbeinu. First and foremost, the Torah describes him as being pretty much the greatest person ever. Right? And the Torah, at the end of Parashat Beha'alotecha, in the rebuke of Miriam and Aharon, describes him as uh, no one else, no other prophet, Pe'il Pe'il, and so on and so forth. He really rises. You have it at the end of the Torah. At his death time, lo kahata enov, lo nas leho. I mean, he has perfect eyesight, he has perfect moisture of the skin, it seems in the Peshat interpretation of those Pesukim. I mean, he's physically perfect. That's what seems to be taking place, physically, spiritually, and so on and so forth. Of course, perfect within human terminology. But that all being the case, says, says Maharal, all of a sudden his speech doesn't work well. I mean, it just doesn't match the character. There must be something to it. It, his suggestion goes as follows by describing him as having quote unquote a deficient tongue and mouth it's effectively describing him as the most proficient human being because as we mentioned a moment ago by definition when we talk about speech we're taking something from absolute potential call it from absolute divinity so to speak something that can't be uttered and limiting it great word actualizing it but limiting it Moshe, in the words of, of Maharal, same, same line of thought, different words, he was fully ruhani, and by definition, speech, which is a human way of interacting and, and coordinating and, and, and dealing with matters, gives the Gashmi side of matters. That's Moshe. Fascinating. And, and, and with regards to even though kevad over there is heaviness, which is which is really why they share the same shortish. You can't, you can't differentiate because he because in, in other words, to, to, talk about for example again talk about God, but don't because you can't. It means when I deal with someone who cannot be described, I say they, I can't use speech to describe them. Moshe is in this domain in which he can't describe existence, he have, can't have a conversation with you by limiting and making finite different ideas and concepts. What's that? He couldn't articulate the shy because he couldn't differentiate. 
it's possible. Uh, it, that's very interesting. As a matter, I, I never thought of it that way. But it, yeah, yeah. But think about what the Chachamim say about Bissalel, right? We did a whole class on this. The Gemara Masech Berachot describes Bissalel as knowing how to craft with the letters with which the Shamayim and Aretz were created, which is a beautiful interpretation, right? That's why you need it to be him. It can't be Moshe. It's a fascinating description. Can't tell you it's going to be perfect because, well, you'll hang on, you'll see why it won't be necessarily perfect, because we're going to suggest that Moshe, at a certain juncture, does achieve a mouth, but specifically for Torah, right? At Ma'amad Har Sinai, and that's really going to be the crux of the class, it's when he becomes an Ish Devarim, when he becomes an Eleha Devarim, Asher Diber Moshe, at the beginning of Sefer Devarim, where he's able to, well, we'll deal with it. It doesn't refute it because you could say the Mishkan lies outside of that. After all, especially according to Harambam's vision of what the Mishkan was, that the Mishkan and Korbanot are a concession, so to speak, that's speaking to human beings. He couldn't be a part of it, so I'm making your derasha better in that respect. Oh, it's not your derasha. Oh, this is, oh, got it. All right. Well, anyway, that all being the case, I take you, oh, all good. I take you a few steps fo- forward in, in this context. I quote a Gemara that I quoted last time in Masechet Sotan Daf Yod Bet Amudalef. The Gemara is referring to the, oh, I didn't describe it in that class. I did it in a class on Cholamoed. The Pasuk describes, of course, Moshe's mother seeing him, Vatere Oto Kitobhu. He was Tob. And the rabbi's picking up on that scripture, say, what's Tob? What did she see in him? And there's several interpretations to the Gemara. The one I focused on, on Chola Moed, was that she sees light in the house. And we talked about Tob as being that Or Haganuz, potentially, which is coming forth, which is very appropriate, again, because it's kind of Moshe being in the almost absolute potential realm, right? He can't be in before any speech realm because he is a human being. He could be on day one realm, to use our words and our terminology, because here he is. He's a person who doesn't make something actualized. It's all potential. It's all for him, an infinite expression of existence. That's the Tob of the Light. The Gemara has another interpretation. The Gemara says as well, potentially it means he was born with a Milah. Of course, in the eyes of the rabbis, Milah is the way that we, so to speak, bring forth a perfection to our body. It means Moshe was born with that. Moshe has the inborn essence, so to speak, uh, that we're so, sort of uh, striving for in life. We're striving for that spiritual dimension. He has it inborn. That's the Moshe we're talking about. That's the individual we're describing at the beginning of his existence, at the beginning where he's relating to the people or hoping to relate to the people with this kivad peh. You see, the Midrash here in source number nine, along uh, the... Go ahead. Yeah. The problem is, though, he achieved that. And now we're almost saying that he was born that way. And we know that when we say that in Maltar, that... He also just flesh and blood that he reached that. So he had to start someplace that was... Agreed. What I suggested in the class on Cholamoid was as follows, was that, so to speak, in his uh, metaphysical DNA, what the Torah is describing as his potential, uh, was there. He maximizes it when, in the first stages of his life, this is what I suggested, he goes out and he's seeing. He goes out and he sees the Ish Mitzri, and he goes out and he sees the Shnei Ivrim, Nitzim. In other words, so so you're 100% correct. He has to then go and discover it, but he's so to speak born with a certain essence. He's not the absolute potential essence. Like us. Like us. Like like us, like like, like us in the world. Absolutely. He lives in the world. He is a human being. I was normal's getting nervous that I'm turning him into a into a, into a god already, right? I was from, from birth. I, I am describing him nonetheless as having uh, an easier tendency to it or something along those lines. You see, the Midrash here in source number nine, and it's echoed from the words of the Zohar in source number 10. The Midrash has uh, Rabbi Levi. So, okay, his statement here in the middle of the first line is, Hare Moshe, ad she lo la Torah ketibo lo ish devarim anochi. Says the Midrash, Rabbi Levi says, until Moshe received the Torah, he describes himself as lo ish devarim anochi. I'm not a man of speech. Remember how we understand those words. We understand those words as, here he is, he's saying, I can't be limited. I'm not a person who sees the world in those finite, uh, through those finite lenses of regular human beings. Once he got the Torah, so to speak, his tongue was healed. 
And he spe- begins speaking. Minayin, how do you know? Says the Midrash from the Pasuk, Ele ha-devarim, Moshe. Of course, he speaks devarim. Along the... I'm, I'm dealing with it. Give me a second. Along those same lines in Zohar, in Parashat Vayera, Moshe azil kala bela dibur. I love those words. Moshe was a kol without a dibur. He was a sound without speech. Right? He's a kol shofar. He's a kol He's a kol without dibur. He's the finite expression. And he would go like that. Until he came close. He was given the Torah. Or he gave the Torah. At that time, it haber kala bedibur. His call, his potential, was connected to an actualization. What does it have to do with Torah? Here's how I understand it. I understand it in the following fashion. To be a being of absolute potential in this world is unhealthy. It's not, it's not what you're here to do. But it's, I can't see it any differently. If you can tap into emet of Torah, so you've now found a way to actualize it. So you'll say to me, but you have, lim- you have limited it. Moshe did become quote-unquote limited from the absolute potential he had beforehand, but he plugged into, he, he, he pushed himself into emet. So now he's expressing it. Now it's called uh, you know, the, the description of the hachamim, that the that, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is coming out of Geronoshel Moshe, is a description of that, which means say, yes, he's now speaking words, but they're words of truth. They're words of Torah. That's why I call the class emergence of truth. Right? In other words, that is Torah. That is the, what we get to at Torah. So we, in Egypt, prior to... <laughs> Fascinating question you ask. You say to limiting in that it's written down with Fascinating question. Fascinating question. I would ironically I, I would ironic I I'm not fully certain how to answer that question. As Morris asks, are we talking about Torah Bihtav or Torah Baalpe or the two in tandem and so Torah forth? As 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 the emergence of truth, as as the dibur is what he's asking, I think. Um, you see, you see, you see. For example, for example, you see what I will develop together with you is that underlying Torah Shebikhtav is an absolute potential. And what I use in order to, I can tell you it already now, what I use in order to, to set forth that idea, I've said this in the past, is, is twofold. Is one, I don't have this on the source sheet, Ramban, in, in his introduction to the Torah, says that the entirety of the Torah is the names of God. But it's not. It says, Bereshit, Elohim, and Tashmah, and I only see one name of God. So what he says is, if you slice, the, you slice these words, and you've now, my words, you've now made them finite. You've now limited them. You've now given them devarim. That's Torah Shbikhtav as we have it. That's not Torah Shbikhtav as, quote, it is. Torah Shbikhtav has limitless. You're right, it's letters and so forth. But it's, so to speak, limitless in terms of its potential until it's broken down. It's, so to speak, the pre-day one, the creation of Tohu Vavohu. Right. That's so. So it's hard for me to say that Torah Shbichtav is actually limiting, unless it's the Torah Shbichtav as we now have it. It's the way I explain. It's a paragraph, it's what's is a paragraph it's limited because it's the only language we can have that can be a correct outside language. In. Correct. So in, in, in that way, it is a paradox. By definition, it's a paradox. Uh, agreed. Which, which again is going to be the same story. It's going to be the same answer, even though it's difficult to Morris as to well, what did Torah do? Why is Moshe all of a sudden in Ish Devarim? The answer is because Torah is the greatest way to speak infinite, in infinite realities and existences in this world. And you know, that's that is the way. You know, along those lines. That's right. Along those lines, the pasuk says. The pasuk says. The, the Pasuk says, right, the Pasuk says here in Shemot Perek Yotet, Pasuk Yotet, it's Pasuk again, I've, I've highlighted on other occasions for different reasons. Pasuk says that the Kol Shofar Har Sinai was Holech Vehazek Me'od, it's going and it sounds like it's becoming stronger as it goes, it's the way Rashi reads it, and then it says Moshe Yedaber. Moshe is doing dibur. And then it says, Vaha Elohim and God, Ya'anenu bekol. God is responding with kol. Of 
course, everything is perfect over there. God is speaking with Kol. There's no words of God. And of course, Moshe in Torah time is now Yedaber. In fact, the Midrash in source number 12, the Tanhuman Shemot in Ot Kafe or Pere Kafe, suggests that Kol picking up, and again, I'm, I'm fascinated by Kol, by sound in Torah or in any other circumstances. You know, in today's day and age, so that's the, what's in vogue is to be fascinated. I'm fascinated by it as well, is by blank spaces, is by silence. But at the same time, you, you know, silence, you know, how much, is, how much potential is latent in silence? silence? You don't read enough. I mean, that's, that's what everyone talks about today, silence. Everyone's obsessed with silence because we're in a world of noise, which, which meditation, it, it taps into old truths, but silence is the cold mamadaka. If you're talking in the Torah context, you find God specifically in the silence and so on and so forth, but at the same time, it's in sound. What's that? There you go. Um, beautiful. Uh, so, so the Midrash uh, says the following. It says, this call of God was heard in different ways by each person at Ma'amad Har Sinai. It's almost in a, in a poetic way, the Midrash says. says the Midrash, every everyone heard the call in their own way. What are you talking about? Because well, they were hard of hearing. If you were a child, you heard it differently. If you were a woman who was pregnant, it says, heard it their way. What, what's it describing? It shouldn't say, in the last line uh, that, they're impre- that they're pregnant and, and Moshe hears it in his own way what's the, what the Midrash is describing is that's, that's call call is what God is setting forth infinite expressions and potentials and interpretations that's what's being experienced in Ma'amad Har Sinai what's Moshe doing as Rabbeinu Behaye quotes in Parashat Vayet Hanan from Ramban Moshe is taking that call and then interpreting it for the people he's splitting it up he's creating the world through the speech of himself using the call of God, taking day negative one, you know, the tohu vavo, and then setting it forth for the people. It means the Torah is, and the giving of the Torah is really the emergence of truth. It's not that truth wasn't latent. It's not that we didn't have an expression in the world, a potential for truth. It was certainly there. People had discovered it. People will discover it. Torah, the, uh, the potential of Torah predates. We didn't have Torah, we didn't have Yisya Misraim, right? speaks to everything we're saying, right? In other words, what does that mean? He looked in the Torah and then he created. It means that the Torah as an entity, the Torah in its existence, is absolute potential, which means an absolute truth is, is, in, is inherent within it. It means it's all going to be found there and was found there. I'll be- What's that? Wrong word. What do you want me to tell you? As what do you want to call it? Concept? Existence? Whatever. I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, you sound like Ralph now. No, I'm saying that istakil ba'oraita ubara alma in 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 Zohar is not referring to, so to speak, in the literal sense. He looked into the word bereshit bara and then God said, "Oh, I better create." So that's how I'm making clear it's not that. Istakil oraita means Torah as the full expression of truth. Torah as the full expression of existence was, so to speak, the blueprint of what comes afterwards. That means to say, and, and, and it's hard and it's paradoxical, that if God created instead of us, yeah, and, and this world, if he created, uh, I don't know, Martians in another planet, and uh, it would say in their book as well, if they got to this truth, Martians planet. It's the same point, because inherent within it is the potential for all. It's really all encapsulated within it. That's what we're describing when we, do, when we talk about oraita. You see, along these lines, I mentioned this midrash in the past class to bring forth this point, but I want to just take it a step further from Mahar which I didn't know about, and I just saw it when I looked it up in preparation. The Gemara Masechin Ida, it's a well-known midrash. The midrash describes on Daflamid how the baby in the womb of the mother is studying Torah and knows the entirety of the Torah. What I brought forth from it in the last class was how the midrash talks about how there's a nir daluk me'al rosho. It describes this, this candle on top of his head, of the baby's his or her head, and they can see from one side of the world to the other. I, I understood that as that or haganuz, which is described in the 
the Gemara Masechet Hagigan Daf Yod Bet. But beyond that, of course, there's the imagery at the end of the Midrash, the part that everybody's familiar with, I think. And as the baby's on its way out, the angel taps it on top of its mouth. Ooh, mouth. Do you hear that? On top of the mouth. And as a result, they forget the Torah. Says Maharal, what's the mouth business? Why tapping it on the mouth? I get the description as I'm already setting forth, as I already accepted, that the Midrash is describing absolute potential in human beings as well. It's, so to speak, what Moshe is born further along, but we have it with, inherent within us as well. That's what you have, and then you come out and you actualize it. Then says Maharal, it's, of course it's the mouth, because it's a description how the mouth, the speech, is what turns us effectively into human beings who have those limits. Human beings who then speak words of Torah, who then express ourselves with Torah, who then find truth through words. But in the womb, there's no words. That Torah, which is quote unquote taught by the angel, it's not a Torah. It's not. It's not a Torah of words. It's a Torah of I don't know what are we calling it of essence, a Torah of existence. That that's what Maharal suggests in context of this midrash. So piecing it all together and and, and stopping at our second juncture in the class, it goes as follows. What we suggested at the end of the class before Pesach was that speech limits potential. Pesach is the time, but it doesn't only limit it, it also gives it form. So it gives it a human identity. It gives us our own expression. And uh, as a result, you see, Amisraim is all about speech. Now that you're done with just potential, get out into the world and speak about it. Describe what you see, how you feel it, how you understand it. That's now your ability and your responsibility. We, in turn, began this class by understanding that, first and foremost, in the description of the pre-day one where there is no speech, but then specifically in the context of Moshe. Moshe being this individual who begins, in the eyes of the rabbis, in the words of the Torah to a certain extent, a life in which he has, so to speak, this, this almost limitless existence in terms of his almost fully ruhani personality. And then, over the course of time, until Ma'amad Har Sinai, Moshe develops himself to the extent that, ironically and paradoxically, his speech comes forth with the giving of Torah. Because the giving of Torah is the emergence of truth, but now it's truth which can be put to words and needs to be put to words. It's the truth of the Torah. That being the case, I want to just take this a few steps further. Again, using the image of Moshe, understanding the moment of Ma'amad Har Sinai for what it was in terms of actualizing that potential and giving it a form. I bring you to another Gemara I mentioned in that class. The Gemara Maseche Bava Batran Daf Ayin He says that Zekenim Shebe'oto Hador, the elderly, the wise ones of that generation, said about Moshe and Yehoshua the following, the face of Moshe, Pene Moshe Kipne Hamaz, like the face of the sun. Pene Yehoshua Kipne Levana, the face of Yehoshua is like the moon. Of course, that makes a lot of sense, first and foremost, in what we generally understood and expected. Moshe is the one who beams, who's the mashpia, he beams the light. Yehoshua is the one who then spreads, right? That's the sun and the moon. Beyond that, in the context of what we're discussing now, with regards to Moshe's own personality, we kind of understand Moshe as that sun as well. Moshe is that sun, which is not the one who's reflecting, it's the sun which is almost infinite in its expression. Uh, the Gemara then, uh, in Masechet Sukkah, to just move this a few steps further, with regards to the focus on moon, which really was the, was, was the Pesach class, but I want to now move it into the context of, of Hadmatan Torateno, of Shavuot, of Kabbalah, of, of Ma'amad Har Sinai, the Gemara Masechet Sukkan Daf Kaftet has this funny statement. The Gemara says that you should know that at the time that the Hamal Loke, when the sun is eclipsed, it's a siman ra le'ovde kochavim. It's a bad omen for the idolaters, for the non-Jews. When the moon is eclipsed, when the levana is, is, is loka, says the Gemara, it's a siman ra. It's a bad omen for the Jews. Of course, what the, for Israel. Of course, what the Gemara is speaking is that we envision ourselves as those moon-like entities. They might see the world in some sort of sun vision. They haven't expressed their potential. They're still in that sun stage. We, as Am Yisrael, as Yitziat Yisrael, individuals who now saw and see the moon and understand ourselves through it, well, as a result, the moon is what expresses our identity to a, to a large and full extent. 
We are pulling from the sun potential and then reflecting it. That is who we are as Am Yisrael. Along those lines, Rav Yosef Engel in source number 18 in his Osrot Yosef in Chilek, I think it should say Chilek Aleph, I looked it up today, it's in Chilek Aleph, in Darush Bet, in the second Derashah, he says that's for that reason, and it will take, there's no surprise here, I kind of led us into this more than once, it's for that reason that we use the moon to determine much of our time in terms of segments of time, months, and the non-Jews will use the sun uh, to determine it, because for us, us, our focus is on that moon. But beyond that, says Rav Yosef Engels, that's Rav Yosef Engels, he says it's for that reason that for Am Yisrael, the night precedes the day, whereas for Umot Ha'olam, the day precedes the night. For us, it begins with the moon. That's the essence of existence. But, but we as a people are mandated to envision the world through our actualization. However, you might ask differently, and I would hope you would, what about before Matan Torah? What about before Matan Torah? The claim should be that before Matan Torah, we were going day and then night. Why would we say day before night? Because we haven't actualized that potential. So lucky for us, uh, over the course of Pesach, I was reading from a new book called Az Yashir, Rabbi Moshe Schwerd in, uh, in, uh, in, in Queens. And in it, he quotes from a whole slew of Aharonim, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky being the latest in his Medli Yaakov in source number 19, who deduce from many different proofs and many different rayot from Gemarot and Pesukim all over that the way it worked was until Matan Torah, Am Yisrael, that's Abraham, Tzach, Yaakov, and Yisrael, and so forth, even when we were told the claim is we were doing day and then night. It was only from Matan Torah and onward that we did night and then day. It's a fascinating description. It makes a lot of sense in light of what no pun intended, in lieu of what we're discussing tonight. In other words, what we're discussing and setting forth tonight is it's only at Matan Torah that we actually put forth the actualization of that potential. Until then, you're still focused on the sun. They were being mekadesh, the, the claim is, and there are proofs for this, yesh makom lahalok, but lebaldin lahalok, they were being mekadesh etachodesh based on the moon, but they, so they, they took a step forward. You see out in Israel, you began actualizing your potential, but we didn't actually begin time from night and then envision the day as coming after. So you might ask, and appropriately so, what about the Pesukim and Bereshit Perek Aleph? They counted the month based on, no, 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 not that far. They counted the month based on the moon, but the days still were determined by, the, you know, by light. Oh, so you might ask, what about We always turn Gemara Masech Berachot and Daf Bet turns to that those Pesukim and Bereshit. It says Vayyare Vahiboker. What's that? From the beginning. That sounds like a problem. Now, first and foremost, Rashbam, he gets slammed by Ibn Ezra, anachronistic, but his approach gets slammed by Ibn Ezra. Rashbam doesn't read it that way. He doesn't read it like the Gemara. Kedar Koba Kodesh, Rashbam says, Vayi'erev is He'eriv Hayom. It doesn't mean evening, it means the beginning of. And Bok is Hitbakir Halayla. In other words, he reads the Pasuk almost allegorically. That's how he sets forth it. Ibn Ezra kills him. He says, you're going to bring Tahilul Shabbat because people are going to read the Torah through your lens and so forth, through that sort of lens. However, Rashbam, what's that? That's right. Okay, we'll go that way. Medli Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky alternatively sets forth the following interpretation. I mean, it's, it's very clever. It's, it's very clever. He says, well, uh, take a look at source number 20, the Pasuk at the end of, uh, at the end of creation, in Perik Aleph, Pasuk Lamed Aleph says, Vayari Elohim et kol asher yom hashishi. Famously, the Pasuk doesn't say yom shishi, the sixth day. It says yom Hashishi. What's the Hashishi? The He, He Hayedia on Hashishi. So Rashi, citing from the Hachamim, has one of two interpretations, but they amount to the same thing. Either it's all awaiting, it's all on condition of the He of Hamisha Humshe Torah. And that's the hair of, of the, all of existence is determined or is contingent on the acceptance of the Hamisha Humshe Torah. Alternatively, says Rashi, it's all contingent on the sixth. What's the sixth? As opposed to the sixth day, sixth day of Sivan, of course, Shavuot, says Rabbi Yaakov Kavanetsky. But read the Pasuk again. Existence itself is contingent on Yom Hashishi. Once you got the acceptance of the Torah, you now turn 
turned the clock backward and you understood existence from the very onset as and only then it might be a stretch it, it certainly is a dirasha but conceptually at the very least it's very beautiful in context of everything we're discussing it means that we were just like the rest of the world sun people until Ma'amad Harsinai why were we sun people until the acceptance of the Torah because until the acceptance of the Torah there was absolute potential that's all it was we were absolute potential we hadn't begun to actualize anything we didn't have the ability to do so we were enslaved initially and then we found freedom but even with freedom we didn't have a way of expressing that that's what Torah gave us it gave us the keli it gave us the utensil the vehicle through which we were able to express truths in this world the truth is in in this context I very briefly mentioned with regards to the light being that absolute potential and, and so forth um, in in the book that Morris gave me by uh, Rabbi Moshe Miller he points out in a footnote if I'm not mistaken that uh, the Or Haganus which the rabbis refer to as we mentioned a few times of, of you know the, the first day of creation being before the separation of, of the Hoshech and Or this Or Haganus he says it's the only creation in the six days of creation which is literally something from nothing Everything else afterwards is something from something. Everything is taken from the ground, taken from the water. And so on and so forth. The moon and the sun are coming. Everything's being crafted from something. The only thing that's not is, well, that light on day one. Well, it makes a lot of sense then, he says, because that is the absolute potential. That's what light is to be representative of. It's that same call. It's to a certain extent the silence. It's the absolute potential. The moment that I now slice it into words, the moment in which I'm vayas, vayitzer, I take it away from the vayivra, I've now given it an actualization. But just moving the class forward and um, heading into the conclusion, the point over here is that ma'amad har sinai, we've now noticed in two different ways, has, so to speak, capped that actualization or given, given us now the vehicle toward actu- actualizing that potential that we have in this world and as Am Yisrael. Again, number one, it's where Moshe, so to speak, doesn't get his voice but gets his speech of words. The Vaidaber, the Diburim begin over there. And furthermore, it's the time at which, bringing it back into that theme we discussed in the last class, it's the time in which we begin being really focused on the moon. We began it when leaving Egypt, but now we really become part and parcel with that moon. And the moon again being that actualization of potential. I'll just conclude the class with what I mentioned earlier to a certain extent, and that is um, uh, uh, you know, we, we talked about Ma'amad Har Sinai, we talked about the beginning of the world, talked about Torah. You see, in this context, as I'm talking about Or Haganuz, I would tell you that in the words of both Gaon Mi Vilna here in source number 22, Degel Mahane Ephraim, that's the grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, on the other end of the spectrum, you're dealing with the Misnagdim, the Gaon Mi Vilna, the Baal Shem Tov, the father of Hasidut. Source number 24, it's Rab Itzala Velazhin, that's the son of Rab Chaim Velazhin, uh, back, back to the uh, Misnagdim. Them, each of them in their own way set forth the following idea I've mentioned in the Nefesh HaHayim classes more than once they say where are you going to fi- find the Or Haganus today where is it that that Or Haganus which is not an actual lie but is an expression of some sort where is it to be found and the answer of each of them in their own way and it's really based on Zohar and Kitveh HaArizal is in the Torah the Torah is that Zohar is that ability to find radiance to find that expression almost infinite or maybe we need to use the word infinite when we when we leave it wordless to a certain extent but it makes a lot of sense again we tap back into in this paradoxical way the time of potential and we actualize it through Torah. The Or Haganus shines forth, ironically, not in the absolute potential zone any longer. That's lost once you have human beings. The only way you'll be able to find it is now cloaked in words of Torah, in this emergence of truth in Torah. And concluding that thought is again mentioned in a more than one occasion, the Gemara Masechet Shabbat and Daf Pechet, going into Daf Petet, the well-known strange encounter of Moshe and the angels and God prior to the giving of Torah, of course. The angels claim, why is it that you're giving a human being, a flesh and blood being, the Torah? It's ridiculous. Give it to us. We'll perform it better or we'll hold on to it better. We'll be the Shomreha Torah better. And of course, God turns to Moshe and says, defend yourself after Moshe deals with his initial fear of talking to the angels that they'll burn him. Moshe has a way of, uh, of addressing the, the angels. He turns to them and he says, going through the Aseret Adiberot, 
None of this is relevant to you. The Pasuk says, Did you leave Egypt? Were you enslaved by Paron? Pesukim after Lotisa. Do you have that challenge? Are you ever in court in order to have Lotisa? And so forth. Shabbat and Kibudavem. You have parents. You have so on and so on. Every single Lot, anything and everything that's in the Azad, it's not relevant to you. And ultimately speaking, they agree, says the Midrash. Adonai That's the end of there in Mizmor Chet of Tehilim. What's going on over here? Even internally in the Midrash, what a ridiculous claim. The angels say we should have the Torah. Moshe's response is so simple. It's so easy. None of this is relevant to you. Why should a horse have the Torah? None of this is relevant to him. Why should the angels have it? You're right. They're much greater than horses, but they have no reason to use this Torah because it's in no way relevant to them. The suggestion of Gaon Mivilna and many others is this is a description of a Torah before it's a Torah of Dibur, my words. He says a Torah of Ruhani before it's a Torah of Gashmi, which means to say it's a Torah of absolute potential and expression. It's a prior to day one. It's the Istakil Ba'oraita Ubara Alma Torah. That's what they want. That's the claim. Moshe's response to them is too late. This Torah has been actualized and we can and will best actualize it. You can have it, but you won't be setting forth anything greater, so to speak, than godliness in this world, which is there already. We will take it and actualize it. We will meet the responsibility of Yesiyah Misraim, of Matan Torah, of taking that Or Haganuz and finding its expression within, what's that? That is the Nephilim, you want to say. You said the challenge of the Nephilim, well, well, no, well, we come down, we'll, we'll, we can do it. Sure, sure. That, that, that again, and, and it in turn describes what what we are uh, to, to a God document, it gives both sides of, of, that, uh, of that debate and that, under, and that description in the, in the Gemara. Again, just putting it all together and making it clear the point of the class and the direction of the class. The point of the class is to take the last class one step further. And just conceptually, just, uh, just, just to, to, and I, I did it at the beginning of last class, just to put it in the easiest, in my mind, conceptual terms, yeah, I'll try to put it in words, there you are. Um, the, the easiest way to do it is envisioning, let's go to creation of the world, and then we'll do it with this. Creation of the world begins as, as, as clay, as Play-Doh, which has not infinite potential, because it is clay, it is Play-Doh, you are doing something crafty, but it's got a lot of potential to it, almost an infinite expression with regards to what you could do with it, and then crafting it and giving it form. That's what you're doing when you have a coal, it's so to speak, the clay, because that's what someone made a claim, and they were right after the class last time. They said when you're already in a coal, it's beyond, it's already something, it's already out in this world, it's already something that, that, that's, that's beyond thought. In other words, in the, in the Kabbalistic, the terminology, thought is already is nishama, that's above ruach, which is already speech. And that's correct. So the clay already is something as well. When I'm dealing with tohu bavo, it's true. I've already brought something forth, but there's still so much potential within, quote unquote, a finite uh, uh, world. Well, that all being the case, the question is, so who are we as a nation? Who are we as people? So the Gemara and Masechet Sota and Daflamet describes us as beings who begin with almost an absolute potential. Once you come out into this world, once you're born into a specific family, uh, you had a specific schooling and parents and direct you've already been closed in more and more and more. You're now speaking words in particular ways. You're now seeing and understanding the world in particular ways. That's as your light is dimming with regards to your absolute potential. Now, on the one hand, it's tragic. On the other hand, and that's really the point of this class and that one, on the other hand, it's the responsibility of human beings. After all, we're not gods. We're not angels. So that's the opportunity. It's the responsibility we have. So where can we and how will we best express that truth within a world of human beings? And the answer quite clearly in my mind is the Torah. It's where Moshe, so to speak, arrives and reaches that speech, the ability to articulate truths instead of just truths being manifested. They emerge through the words of Torah. And it's the time at which we as a nation begin to realize and live life through that moon. It's where the night becomes the beginning of day for us because it's the time at which we say, yeah, the sun is amazing. The sun has absolute potential, but, but who are we as a people? What's our response? Our responsibility is that moon. It's the time at which the Orha Ganuz ironically comes forth 
even though it was nestled away, it was ganus, we now find it within words. We find it within words as human beings only can and will best, you'll be able to actualize and, and give certain limits, but appropriate limits, limits of truth within a world of finite potential, within a life of expressions that we have to reach beyond, above and beyond, Torah is that vehicle, Matan Torah is that opportunity to bring forth an emergence of truth. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.